Good morning, church. My name is Kunaya. Our reading is in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33 in the Common English Bible, page 1190 in the Pew Bibles. Right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They were so frightened, they screamed. Just then, Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged, it's me. Don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got in the boat, the wind settled down. Then those who in the boat in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be Every time I hear that passage read, I am just filled with as many questions as you can count. I am so thankful. I grew up in a family where asking the Bible questions was okay. Maybe some of you didn't. You know, there was a part of the church where, you know, you, you learned the catechism or whatever the equivalent was in, in your family or church, and you tried to be able to repeat it back nearly correctly, but were almost discouraged from asking questions. But fortunately for most of us, that was not the case. It wasn't for me, my family, my local church when I went to... Uh, Roberts Wesleyan College, there were those that sort of pushed us toward asking questions we were even uncomfortable with. Um, because if we are going to take the Bible seriously, I believe it will only happen if we dare to ask questions. And I'll tell you, I have as many questions about this passage of Scripture as a person can have. My first question is, do we really believe it happened? You know, do you? Let me start off by saying, because of the way I look at the Bible, I believe it happened. And I suspect that's true for most of us here this morning. But I wonder whether we live as if we believe it happened. You caught the story, didn't you? In the middle of the storm, Christ was walking on the water. And when Peter sort of challenged him, maybe he was still thinking he was a ghost, Jesus invites Peter to walk on the water. And did you catch what happened next? He walked on the water? 
I mean, do we live as if we believe this is true? I remember preparing a message for the chapel at Roberts Wesleyan College um, in Rochester, New York, and, and being drawn to this story. And maybe for the first time in my life, this question came to my mind. You see, I'd always seen this story as an example, I had to admit at the time, of an, exa of an example of how you should not live your life. You know, in the storm, God doing wonderful things, and you look at the storm rather than Jesus and you start to sink. Like it was a, a picture, it was there to warn us. And, and in that moment, I thought to myself, what if, what if rather than being an example of how we should not live our lives, this is in fact an example of how we should live our lives with a daring faith that trust God that when he asks us to do something, even though there may be moments of doubt in our response, if we'll only trust him, absolute miracles take place. Sometime after that, I came across the, the book by John Ortberg, I hope some of you have read it, entitled, If You're Going to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. Still worth reading, though it's been around for a while. I think, I think the fellow's name was Greg LeBoy. I don't know anything else about him except that he once said, Christ only um, offered his disciples, this is an oversimplification, okay? Christ only offered his disciples three things in life. First, that they would be absurdly happy. Secondly, that they would be entirely fearless. And thirdly, that they would be constantly in trouble. <laughs> and you know, I think that some of us have lived our lives more than anything else trying to stay out of trouble. And I think you know what I mean, don't you? I mean, like, we don't want to do bad things, but there's a kind of trouble you get into because you believe God for the impossible and other people around you really can't understand how you possibly could live that way. Well, like I said, I mean, I just have more questions than you can imagine. I think one of the important things, though, as we ask questions of this text, is, is to get a good hold of the context. There is a reason why this story is included by Matthew, and he's not the only one that includes the story, of course. Mark does also. But he's included at this point in his gospel to get a picture of what Peter and the other disciples we're going through at this time. You know, for example, to notice that Peter and the other disciples were in the middle of an exhilarating pilgrimage or journey with Jesus. Uh, just before this story, we get the story of Christ um, feeding the 5,000. Now, 
Can you imagine being part of that and being the inner circle? First, you get a hold of the problem. 5,000 men plus women and children, what would that be? Well, we don't know how many kids they allowed, but maybe 10, 15,000 people, something like that. So you have this huge crowd and no food. And then Jesus said, will you feed them? And then you take, you, you, check, you check the cupboards and you have a few, a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And it all seems ridiculous to you, but you know, you've been with Jesus for a little while. You never know what he's going to do next. And so he prays, he breaks this food up and it keeps coming. I mean, we don't know, I mean, one of the interesting questions about that wonderful miracle is, is just at what point did the food begin to multiply? Was it, was it every time Jesus broke a little piece off, there was a, a bigger loaf there left? Or, or was it somehow when he gave it to the disciples? I like to think that part of the miracle is in the hands of the disciples. You know, as they pass through the crowd with their little hunk of bread and little bit of fish, it kept coming. And you just were amazed. However, the most, the most sort of fantastic moment I would have liked to have been there for was when they went around and collected what was left over. Remember, they started with just a few loaves of fish, and, I mean, few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And what happened? You know, each of the disciples, the 12 disciples, had a basket. And they, they went through the crowd, so, uh, you know, they were into not wasting anything. They knew what they had started with. Can you imagine the feeling that Peter had when he looked down and saw in his basket a basket full of bread and fish, and he knew. I mean, it was his brother Andrew that found the little bit of food. He knew this was many times what they had started with. And then he comes back to the Lord, and he's not the only one with a full basket. I mean, talk about an exhilarating journey with the Lord. Well, that's part of the context of this moment, but that's not all of it. For if you look back just a little further in this chapter 14, you get the beheading of John the Baptist. Remember who John the Baptist was? He was one of, he was a cousin of, of the Lord. Uh, you know, a good man, a prophet, a forerunner of the kingdom, and, and a wicked king simply on a whim because he said too much in the middle of an orgy, he loses, John the Baptist loses his head. So in addition to this exhilarating kind of pilgrimage, there's also this cosmic battle with evil that's going on. On every side, it's part of the context of what's going on during this moment. And then to add to all that, the immediate situation, for you are in the middle of this laborious task, which has been directed by Jesus. So who tells them to get into the boat? Mark tells us they were straining. When Jesus looked down from his place of prayer, that they were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. That is not the place you want to be with the wind against you. Any sailor knows if you can, you at least tack. You don't go against the wind, but where they were sent to go, of course they were rowing, 
the wind was against them in this laborious task, but directed by the Lord. So that's the context. Then another question that comes to my mind was, why in the world did Jesus invite them, invite Peter to get out of the boat? Like the Lord knew Peter, could he? he probably could have predicted some of what was going to take place. So why did he invite Peter to do this? You know, sometimes I thought, you know, maybe we think he just was sort of calling Peter's bluff. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, like I'm not sure it is you, if it's you, Lord, invite me to get out of the boat. And maybe the Lord was just sort of calling his bluff. Peter will never dare to do this anyway. You know, or maybe, maybe the Lord was trying to, to show Peter a view of himself, of his, uh, of his impetuousness, sort of his ready, fire, aim kind of personality. Maybe the Lord saw this as a moment so that Peter could learn something about himself and his own human limitations. You know, those are possibilities. But the more I work with this text, the more it seems to me that really what the Lord was trying to do, this is in the middle of this walk that Jesus is having from from him first calling the disciples to the point where he will be on the cross and then he'll come back from the dead. You know, perhaps what the Lord was doing, knowing how important it was for Peter to experiment with daring faith and testing God and seeing God come through. Um, why was it that the Lord even invited Peter to get out of the boat. Now, the significance of all that is because I believe God is regularly inviting his own to get out of the boat and walk on water, water to trust that what Jesus has asked you to do, maybe in the small things, maybe it's where you're, you're, you're asked to make up with somebody, rebuild a relationship that's disintegrated because because somebody did something they weren't supposed to do, either you or somebody else, and, and it just ended. Or, or maybe it's reaching out to a person who's hurting, and, and you say to yourself, I got enough troubles of my own. It can be the smallest things in life, or it could be a major change in the way you live your life, whether it's a different job, or whether it's a, a relationship that's, that's just totally different than you would have expected. You know, what is it that God is calling us to do? One of the other questions that comes to my mind when I look at this text is, you know, how can it be safe? I mean, like, why was it safe for Peter to follow Christ's command and get out of the boat? I mean, it didn't end up so well for him, did it? at least not the way you read this, in a way, you could really say, I mean, it, it is easy to understand that Art Brown always looked at this text without realizing it, I think, as an example of how you shouldn't live your life because you're going to be embarrassed and let Jesus down and, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Why was it safe for Peter to get out of the boat. And here's where this text 
is just so exciting to me um, because it was safe for Peter. This was not the end. And you know, it wasn't the last time Peter would sort of blow it either, was it? You know, a little bit later, he would, he'd, he'd be the one to recognize Jesus as the Christ, and then he'd have to be rebuked by the Lord because he had so little faith, he couldn't see the way Christ was going to be the Messiah as being adequate. He had some other ideas. And then, then when the Lord needed him the worst, he'd be falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he would be, he would be denying that he even knew the Lord. And yet, Peter was the rock. Jesus said, you're the rock. And on this, the hope of the world through the church can be stable and firm. And he was the leader of the, of the early church. You know, God can take a person and move them into this kind of faith and use them powerfully, even though it's sometimes really terrorizing. Uh, I think it was safe. I think he, this, this text, this story, shows us some of the reasons why it was safe for Peter to get out of the boat and actually walk on water. I wouldn't say they're the only reasons, but I do believe each of them is consistent with what we see about Jesus, what we see about God in his holy word. And they're illustrated so powerfully here. For example, first of all, we find Peter, this, this uh, daring attempt by Peter emerged in the middle of a, of a tedious kind of obedience by Peter in, in a good direction. So he had been walking with Jesus, and now he was in the boat there in the middle of the storm because Jesus asked him to be there. And this should be good news for a lot of people at First Free Methodist Church because we have so many faithful people who have walked with Jesus a long time. And you may think, the devil may whisper in your ear and say, there's no more adventure for you in the, in the Christian life. You know, put in your time, sooner or later, you'll be in heaven and it'll all be good. Let me tell you that one of the things that made it possible for Peter to hear this word and to be part of this marvelous work that God was doing in the, in his, in the world in his life, that here's a man that wanted to follow Jesus. He knew that sometimes, I mean, he must have known how imperfect he could be at times, but he knew he wanted to follow Jesus he was part of this sort of this long, tedious obedience in the right direction. Or the other, one of the other things that hits me about this story is that, Christ, that Peter's walking on the water moved him toward Christ. So is this call that God is putting on your life, is it going to move you toward Christ? He, he wasn't walking away from Jesus. He was walking toward Jesus. 
Many of you, I'm sure, have read, read this uh, book called The Shack or maybe uh, watched the movie. Uh, it's really quite a fascinating book and movie. Uh, one of the, the spots in the movie uh, I'll always remember is, you know, Peter had walked with Jesus on the water one time, and then he decides to try it out on his own. <laughs> and it doesn't work. And the Lord comes and says to him, Peter, this always works better when we do it together. So Peter's daring response moved him toward Christ. One of the other things in this text that, that really challenges and encourages my heart is that Peter had come to the place where in crises he knew that reaching out to Jesus was the secret. And many of us have gone through enough of the stuff of life, the crises of life for ourselves, for our families, for people we love, that although there's a lot of things we don't get right, this we know in the middle of crises, it's with Jesus that we want to be. And because Peter had discovered that, it was safe for him to get out of the boat. Um, the other thing that hits me about this text is that Peter was not in the boat by himself. You know? I, and I think this is another truth, and maybe this is the most important truth when you look at the scriptures of when it's safe to do the daring thing. You're doing it in the company of faithful friends. There are friends who are their kingdom friends. They're, they're people you can, de you can depend on. He was not in the boat alone. And, and I've been thinking, uh, you know, every time I look at this text, I think again of, of the pilgrimage that uh, the Lord has put Sylvia and I on. And, you know, because I'm no longer in my 20s, uh, there have been a few moments when Christ said, this is, what, this is a good thing for you to do, though it meant a rather major change in where we lived or how we invested our lives. And you know, over and over again, it has happened that there's been a small group of people, a little cadre, a Bible study, a sharing group, a small group of believers with whom I could process that heavy decision, that challenging decision. And you know, sometimes they pushed back pretty seriously, but I can't remember making a decision where there wasn't also that, uh, that kind of, of encouragement Maybe encouragement to look at some more aspects of it. Maybe even to recreate how the, how the change might take place. But faithful friends that were part of that. When I think of this text, I also cannot help but think of the people that I have known who have been, I would call them out-of-the-boat people. In fact, when you come to those discussion questions, I hope, you, I hope you use that one. Some uh, use the one about 
you know, who are the other out-of-the-boat people in the Bible that come to your mind? That's a great one, uh, I think, for us to begin to process this truth. But also think about the people you, some of the people you've known like that. Um, just a few months ago, we were again with Ken and Letty Myers um, in, uh, in Africa and, and just processing life with them. You know, uh, Ken uh, started off as a, what we call a visa missionary in Dominican Republic showing the Jesus movie. And then someplace along the way, he found Letty. Letty's a, a Mexican, now Mexican-American, but her family is, is just really, really uh, a blessing in our Mexican church. Her dad, a pastor, and others like that. But they found each other, and then God started to, uh, to deploy them as uh, missionaries. Uh, one of the first times we spent time with them was in Mexico City, where we, we had a cadre of people there that were establishing the Free Methodist Church again in, uh, for the first time in that great megapolis. And then when that ministry sort of came to an end, there was need in Africa. And so these, these people that know Spanish, he's one of, Ken's one of the, the, the most gifted uh, translators from English to Spanish or vice versa. I always loved to have him translate when I was preaching. I, I could trust that he was probably saying nearly the same thing I was. And, and with as much enthusiasm, just really a blessing. And so they're redeployed into Africa. And now that ministry has sort of come to an end. And so they're coming back to the States. And when you think about them, pray for them that the Lord opens the right door for them. But they've always been out of the boat people. Yesterday, we spent some time, uh, Sylvia and I, with our good friends, Eric and Virginia Spangler. You know them. He's one of your missionaries that you'll support here. I first, I first got to know Eric uh, in Southern California when he was a speaker for one of our missions conventions and then was able to talk Eric into coming to Indianapolis and, and be our, being our mission mobilizer. And we had, this, we had this surge of missionaries into Free Methodist World Missions that I got a lot of credit for, but it was mostly Eric who did the recruiting. Uh, yesterday when we were with him, I was reflecting on all the new missionaries in, in Asia, and I said, you know, wherever you go, people want to be missionaries. And, um, but they have all, I mean, they moved to the, to the east, to Indianapolis, in order to work with us, and then back here to pastor a church here. Or, you know, when we were in Africa, one of the last times, I think a year or two ago, we brought, uh, we brought the Matthewsons. Uh, out of Nundu, Alice and, uh, oh my, how can I lose a name? Matt, Randy, Alice and Randy, Matthewson, out of Nundu in the Congo to uh, Kibogora, where we were getting together with a group of missionaries. And you know, always when I think of those two people, I, I just kind of, just amazed. I mean, I think I'm getting older, but they're older than us. And, um, <laughs> And you know, at the time, and I think some of this may be still happening, at the time, they were taking six months each year and going into Africa to rebuild our hospital in Nundu, and then they'd come back to the States for six months. I mean, it just blew my mind. And always, you know, always with a new dream of what God would do there, including, including a, a hydroelectric plant. Uh, 
You know, we are surrounded by these people who, who are daring for the faith. And this morning, I just want to encourage you that when God calls you to get out of the boat, when you know it's Jesus calling, or you suspect it's Jesus calling, don't miss that opportunity. And in fact, this morning, in just a few moments, we're going to have Holy Communion together. And, and I'd encourage you to make this a moment of saying, Lord, I don't know that you're calling me to Africa, because I would never suggest that. You know, the Matthewsons are unusually gifted people for that. But the, that's not the point. The point is when God calls us out of our comfort zones, maybe it's to work in the nursery. You know, I mean, when God calls us out of our comfort zones, to miss that opportunity is to miss one of the greatest blessings in life. And so I'd encourage, as we come to share in communion this morning, just make an open-ended an open-ended commitment to Jesus that what he asks you to do, regardless of how daring it may look at first, you want to say yes. If you're like me, you may want to add on something like this. Lord, I'm not sure I'll be able to do it on my own. But all I can say is, I want to say yes, and I'll depend on you to grant to me the ability to respond to you the way you want to, you want me to. Let's pray together. Lord, we are just overwhelmed, truly overwhelmed by your trust in us. What you put in the hands of Peter and the other disciples the message of the gospel for all eternity. And now, in our generation, you put it in our hands. And we know that this out-of-the-boat experience, most of us can't handle it every day. <laughs> we just weren't made that way. But here's what we want to say to you this morning, Lord. We want to be the kind of people that when you invite, we say yes. We want you to build the kind of faith in our hearts that when the storm is great, more than anything else, we want to be with you. And we trust you to only ask us to do what really is best for us and best for all those we love the most. So this morning, as we share in Holy Communion together. Lord, receive, receive our gifts of love as we receive yours. And Father God, do all that you want to do through our lives. We pray in Christ's name, amen.